extra credit will always come and go based off of what the latest fads are. But I don't think that a solid nutrition plan, a solid strength plan, and a solid mobility plan are going to be anything that gets phased out. Welcome back to the Eat More Carbs podcast. My name is Jenna Fisher, and I'm here with my co-host, Riley Beatty. Today, we have Dr. Nate Harris on the podcast to help answer some questions. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Can you take a couple seconds and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm Nate Harris. I'm a physical therapist in the Mount Pleasant, South Carolina area. I own a sports PT practice called Velocity Sports Physical Therapy, and we are just practice who is sole mission is trying to get our athletes back on the field as fast as possible, as safely as possible, and keep them there. Well, we're very excited to have you on to help answer some questions. Before we get into some of those questions, we do a high and low segment where we talk about our week, some of the personal things that are going on. So the good and maybe the part that we wish had gone a little bit differently. Riley, can you kick us off? Yeah, we'll start off with the high for the week. So I actually just met with a client before this podcast and she is somebody that was really struggling with like GI issues, bloating, things like that. She actually was relying on laxatives for like the last five to six years and a big win that I wanted to share from her is she has been laxative free for the last five months, which is a big win and that was something that was really upsetting her and things like that. So very, very excited that she is feeling regular again. She's not having the bloating. She's having regular bowel movement. So just wanted to share that win. It's not necessarily my, I guess, win, but it's her win. And that was my high for the week. My low has to do with my husband. Last night, I was talking smack about him on Instagram because he doesn't like marshmallows in his hot chocolate. And I'm like, I need all the toppings on my hot chocolate. I was talking smack about him on Instagram. And while I was doing it, I dropped my phone into my hot chocolate. Is the phone still alive? Is the phone functioning? The phone is still alive. Thank goodness for technology because now phones are waterproof because of people like me. So thank goodness for that. But I just thought that was such karma. Nate, do you have high and low you can share? Yeah. So a high this week is we had a meeting on Monday about potentially expanding our business into a new gym. And so that could be big just for us, but also for that gym just to be able to keep their members healthy and all of that. So still very much early in the works, but just something exciting that we could hopefully continue to build on. So that's definitely a high for this week, both personally and for the business. The low for this week, at least personally, is my dog is very sick. And so just dealing with all of the, you know, doesn't want to eat. And then when he does, he throws up and just figuring out where to go from there. So we're turned a corner now, but the last few days it was kind of a, uh, I don't know, man, like we'll, we'll just always go to the vet. So, but all's well that ends well. So I think knock on all the wood, we will hopefully have turned a corner. What kind of dog do you have? I got a big old golden retriever. He's like 95 pounds, probably uh, three and a half years old. So that was nervous that he had gotten into something because they like to eat just about everything. So just making sure that he didn't get into anything and then all of a sudden having obstruction. So, so far, so good. Well, hopefully your golden is okay. I have a golden too. It's my child. Like I would do anything for that dog. Yeah, I think so. A couple of last minute cancels for some patients of like, hey, sorry, man, my, my dog ain't great. And everyone understands, you know, all you got to say is it's my dog. Like, yep. All right, cool. Whatever. Dogs are family. I will wrap up our high and low segment for the day. My high is that I went to run club last night and it was 80 degrees last night when we went running outside at six o'clock. It was the perfect temperature for me because it wasn't sunny, but it was still warm outside. My low for the week, I went to an avalanche game. See, this was a couple days ago now. And I brought my clear purse to the game with me. I checked the dimensions online that I was going to be able to bring it into the arena that they were playing in. 
And of course, it's like the one time in Arizona that it's going to rain as we're walking into the game and people standing out front were like, you can't bring that bag in. It's too large. And apparently when a professional sports team plays in that arena, the dimensions for the bags change that they allow in. (laughs) Who knew? But it's in the fine print online. And so thankfully, my very kind husband ran the bag back to our car, but I had to stand there in the rain (laughs) while he did that. But we made it back for puck drop. So that's what counts. But always check and read the fine print on those silly things because you never know and they're just going to be like oh different teams playing so we're going to change bag dimensions i also have yet to see someone actually break out a ruler like hey it's 14 by 11 but like hey let's really measure that like just just let something slide man like 16 inches ain't gonna kill i don't know right i was like it's the bag is clear i i followed the rules it's just two inches right. too big on one side just let me in with it Don't i kind of would love game. to see someone like break out a ruler though like that'd be kind of a sick flex just like yep nope half an inch too big bam yeah here's my ruler in my clear bag no don't mess with me (laughs) you're out of here (laughs) we'll start with some of our questions Nate can you share a little bit about your background your experience as an athlete and how you got into sports physical therapy yeah absolutely so I was a kid who just kind of grew up playing all the sports baseball basketball football soccer you name it and then as I got into high school just my sports ended up wiggling down to just baseball and I realized very quickly that I did not have what it takes to cut it as a professional baseball player like I thought when I was six. So I, you know, had a couple of opportunities to play at some small colleges for college baseball, but I kind of knew that's not exactly what I wanted out of my college experience. So I ultimately didn't really pursue any college athlete aspirations. And so I always knew that I wanted to do something in sports and ideally something with science. So in high school, there was a class called sports medicine. Said, hey, sure, that sounds cool. Ended up being with our school's athletic trainer, just teaching a little bit about it. And I really liked it. So I went to the University of South Carolina to get my athletic training degree. And so I was an athletic trainer before I became a physical therapist. That gave me a lot of cool opportunities just working with South Carolina, their college sports, so football, baseball, soccer, swim and dive, cheerleading, as well as a couple of high schools. So kind of get your, you know, breadth and depth, as they love to say in the clinical world. And so then after that, did some fun internships, both with the Seattle Seahawks and the NFL, as well as the Pittsburgh Pirates and the MLB. And so I found out very quickly that I really enjoyed the professional sports setting, but the work-life balance just wasn't for me. I mean, it's such a grind. I'm, I'm, it's just as bad in college. And so I'm very gl- grateful that I had those opportunities just to you know, pull from that experience and be able to learn a lot along the way. But I also am very glad that I went and did that because if I was always kind of chasing that pipe dream, I might, you know, today really still be hoping that I could get there and then realize, oh, shoot, this might not be for me. So that's ultimately how I ended up opening a sports physical therapy practice in Charleston was I knew that I had that experience working with athletes in a couple of different settings. And I wanted to make sure that the athletes, both middle, high school, college, whatever it is, professional guys who are still in the area had access to someone who kind of knows that side of things and can be able to deliver that high level of care. Is there a type of athlete that you specialize in working with? Or is it just kind of all types? of athletes. Yeah, so we certainly see just because of my background, a majority baseball and just through forming some relationships with some of the local doctors here that has transitioned into a lot of just upper extremity athletes. So the easy answers there are baseball, softball and volleyball, but you know, anything upper extremity related. So swim and dive is very upper extremity related. If you're a football player and you have shoulder injury from falling or a wrist injury as a tennis player, then that all kind of comes over to us. And we certainly don't turn anyone away. We like to think that 
we have a good amount of knowledge on a lot of different sports. I will say I had my first competitive ballerina earlier this year, which is not something that I dealt with before. And so that was a learning experience for both of us. But it still goes back to the same principles I tell all my baseball players is like, look, you just have to know what you need to do for your sport and then make sure that you can do it. And so I certainly was asking her a lot of questions of, hey, talk to me how you get into this position and what is this called and what does it look like? So learned a couple of new terminology uh, terms that I have since forgotten, but the short answer is mostly baseball. And then we see a good amount of golfers too, just from some of the continuing education stuff that we've done. But we certainly have seen close to every sport that could walk through the door. It sounds like a good variety. It sounds like you're never bored. Well, that's the best part about this job is that you're always going to find something interesting, even if it's just a, you know, I see a lot of Tommy John patients and I feel like I could do them with my eyes closed now, but there are so many nuances within that where you're going to find something interesting each and every time, even if it's not in the actual science of the physical therapy and in the medicine aspect, like People are interesting, but it, it certainly doesn't leave you bored. So I, there are certainly, I can count on probably one hand since I started this job, how many days I rolled out of bed and I was like, man, I don't want to go to work. And it certainly didn't have to do with my patients or clients. It had to do with stuff going on in my own life. And I don't think that's something a lot of people can say. So I'm very fortunate to be in the position I am. You mentioned Tommy John. So I have to ask this question because obviously I feel like it's in the news right now a lot. Like what changes? Are they throwing faster? Is that really a thing? Yes. So that's the one word answer. So you're talking about how Tommy John is on the rise. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm hearing a lot more about it or I feel like I hear a lot about it. So I would love for you to just kind of talk about like what that is and what that means for like the future of a baseball player or anyone who really experiences that because I guess it's not limited to baseball. Correct. Right. And, th and that is something I didn't realize uh, until recently, I've now treated probably 10 to 15 cheerleaders who have had Tommy John because it's a common thing with elbow dislocations. And that's very common to cheer with the backwards tumbling and all of that. But certainly Tommy John is on the rise. The youth coaches and every t-ball coach in America wants to blame the curveball and the fact that kids are, you know, throwing off speed earlier. But the science backs up the fact of what you said, they're throwing harder. And back in 1999, there were I think three people threw over a hundred miles an hour. And this year there were something like 70 or 80 and you probably don't know half their names. And it's just becoming as a result of people understanding how their bodies work, strength and conditioning, nutrition, recovery, all that stuff is getting so scientific and it's becoming more mainstream with professional sports. People are getting better at doing their job, which for a baseball player is throwing the ball hard. But naturally when you throw harder, there is more stress on ligaments, tendons, muscles, all of that. And just in the nature of baseball, that is the first thing to go. The good news is that Tommy John rehab surgery, all of that has gotten much, much better in the last, I would say, 15 or 20 years. It was first done in, I believe, the late 70s, early 80s on a guy named Tommy John, which is where it comes from. Um, but before then, if you tore your UCL, which is the ligament that gets torn, and they go and do the Tommy John surgery to reconstruct it, before then, it was a career killer. Like, oh, you blew out your elbow. Yep, see you never. And so now it's pretty standard for someone to come back from Tommy John and get back to their previous level of performance. It's something like an 80 to 85% clip, but still that means one in 10. It's like, you're not going to be where you were because now there's kind of the flip side where there's uh, so much positive news around folks who are coming back from Tommy John throwing harder. 
that whenever any high schooler walks in my door and they're like, hey, I'm going to throw harder after this, right? Like, well, nah, man, like those guys put in 14 months of blood, sweat, and tears. And like, you better do the same if you even want to be one of the 85%. So the importance of the rehab is extreme with that one. Yeah, for sure. And I think that some of it boils down to the fact that when you go and do that surgery, they are repairing it so tight usually like they are reinforcing the heck out of it that they can trust their own body again and then other aspects of it is very similar to acl rehab where it takes nine months 10 months 12 months just to get back to where you were that you and your pt your trainer the strength and conditioning staff all that support staff become your life support because you in general are removed from your team you're removed from your practice so you're you know psychiatrist or therapist because of the mental health aspect of it too so it is a truly comprehensive approach and that generally bodes well for the athlete when they can spend all of the extra time dialing in their nutrition their sleep their strength and conditioning their mobility all of that so it sounds like there's some myth busting going on there for the tommy john What are some other maybe myths that you hear related to sports rehab and then also maybe even nutrition? Yeah, for sure. To talk more specifically about the nutrition and with my background in baseball and that being mostly who walks through the door, I'm constantly fighting the patients and the dads who truly think that I don't want to get too bulky or I don't want my kid to get too bulky or too strong for this sport, which, and I tell all of them, I promise you it's not that easy, right? Like if it was that easy, like everyone would be walking around looking like, you know, Hulk Hogan or something. So especially even the, there's been the, you know, handful of female athletes who have said the same thing and women don't need more barriers to strength training right like i'm sure that's another rabbit hole that we can go down but i just get very triggered for lack of a better word of folks who just think like oh well i need to cut my calories and i need to watch what i eat because i don't want to get too bulky and i mean riley you and i have talked about it a little bit briefly before but like there there needs to be probably more uh trend in the other direction where you probably should be trying to get heavier. So that's certainly one of the big sports nutrition things that grinds my gears. The other one is just the, I guess, culture around energy drinks now, where it's just normal for guys to rip four or five Celsius or bangs a day. And like, dude, you're not only just like killing your, like, that's not the right fuel, but that's also going to kill your recovery, which is going to put you at further risk of injury because that's the number one predictor of injury. There's some really interesting stuff on recovery and injury risk. Like you're three times more likely to get injured as a college athlete during finals than any other time of the year uh, because stress, sleep, nutrition just goes out the window. So the the kids who just constantly, like I'll see someone at 6 or 7 p.m. and they have an unopened Celsius in their hand. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Just really trying to figure out the best way that I can communicate that without just sounding like another adult yelling at them about their energy drinks has, has been a challenge specifically for me. And I'm sure that you guys have heard many of the same things. I think it's hard because we as a society have labeled energy drinks as like energy drinks. So like they're supposed to give you energy, but it's actually like a stimulant drink. It's really not going to give you any energy. And especially like I see it all the time with the the baseball players where like they're on the field for such a long period of time. They're like, oh, I need some energy. Like I'm just going to reach for this energy drink when it's like, that's actually not solving your problem. That's just a band-aid for poor recovery, poor sleep, and poor nutrition, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I never had heard that aspect of it where they are on the field for so long, but that makes a ton of sense. Like it's, hey, I need to make sure that I'm good in crunch time. So let me just make sure by ripping two bangs and some smelling salts, which yeah, blows my mind. That That's definitely a, a good way to think of it is energy drinks are not always an energy giver. Sometimes it's just a band-aid. Something that you've said, Nate, before when we've kind of 
chatted and I really loved is you've said you have to do your homework before you ask for extra credit. And I think here, an energy drink or a stimulant drink is that like extra credit because you're ignoring like your feeling foundation, you're ignoring the sleep, you're ignoring the recovery. Yeah. And that, and that goes back to kind of your initial question on some of the myth busting in like sports rehab specifically is everyone is always scouring social media, whatever it is, looking for that extra credit. Like, oh, I heard that red light therapy is the best thing for me. Where can I go buy one? Like, well, those units run a lot of money and you just investing in a good nutritionist, strength coach and mobility program probably goes a lot further than you searching for that extra like 1%. And it's a good callback by you. I actually had forgotten. I need that gentle reminder every now and again to about some of the sayings, but yeah, exactly. It, it's the low hanging fruit is always going to be the low hanging fruit, I think. And the extra credit will always come and go based off of what the latest fads are. But I don't think that a solid nutrition plan, a solid strength plan and a solid mobility plan are going to be anything that gets phased out. Kind of about keeping up with this homework theme that we've got going on right now. You mentioned that the injuries increase around finals, which I had no idea. But when it comes to kind of that injury rehab, like what are some of your top tips for helping athletes like return to play? Yeah. So the first thing is just figuring out where you are and like how far away from that return to play are you? And generally, if you go and get surgery, you're going to have at least a relative timeline laid out in front of you, like for to go back to the Tommy John example, hey, you are going to get this surgery on January 1st, it's a 10 it's a 12 to 14 month rehab. So we're looking at early next year when you are back and playing. So that time frame is already established in an athlete's head. And when it's that far out, it's easy to get lost. So the different example would be, oh, you pulled your hamstring, you should be back in like two to four weeks. And then any time past that, the patient or athlete feels like they are behind schedule. And so that's where I think athletes sometimes need to understand that these timelines are more just guidelines because just because you have waited four weeks doesn't mean you're ready to go because rest is not the answer. Like rest is a tool, but it is not the way that you heal. And in that hamstring strain example, if you spend those two to four weeks not doing a dang thing, you're not going to be much better. And so you need to figure out where you're at in terms of your strength, mobility, coordination, and then be able to get that assessment figure out what things you could be doing right now to address that and then attack those things because you're not in your sport. You're not on the field. You aren't having your time being taken up by practice games, competitions, all that stuff. So you do have in general, extra time to focus on your rehab and recovery. So just figuring out, Hey, I strained my hamstring, but that is a wide range of how significant that strain could be. You could have a 30% reduction in strength. You could have a 70% reduction in strength. You could have pain with walking. You could have pain just with end range sprinting. So finding where you are on that continuum and then addressing the correct part of the continuum, I think is the most important thing, regardless of what you are rehabbing. And so that can be all summarized in don't guess, but just assess. And like that goes back to one thing that I tell a lot of My patience is, look, I'm going to do this comprehensive assessment and figure out where your low-hanging fruit is. Usually I can find a couple and it's good news if I don't. So sometimes people come to me and they are 
frustrated and when I'm like, things look pretty good, man. Like, I, I don't think that there's anything you're really missing. They're like, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And then that kind of goes back into what we talked about earlier of those, those homeworks, those, those just low hanging fruits of, well, just make sure that you're recovering well, make sure that you're eating right, make sure that you are timing your strength and conditioning well, and make sure that you are still keeping up with everything that we know is the low hanging fruit. So that that's kind of the method of like, it doesn't need to be like complex and crazy for even the elite athletes. Everyone, I think kind of puts athletes on this pedestal of, oh, well, what are they doing that I'm not? Like probably nothing. Like they're, you're probably doing the same thing. Some of them are just genetically blessed and some of them are the hardest workers in the room. But more often than not, some of them just got dealt a hand by God that said, hey, you're going to be able to throw a ball 104 without even looking like you're trying. And so that sometimes is discouraging for people to hear, but it's also the realistic aspect of the athletes aren't doing anything fancy that you might not be. They are just doing the basics really well on top of their just genetics that they may or may not have. Now, granted, if you're not dealt that card, you better be the hardest worker in the room. Because when you go to college, like, yeah, you might have been a standout in high school, but every single one of your teammates is also in the weight room eight hours a week. They're also in the training room doing their activation and prep. They're also going to the same nutrition halls that you're doing. So what are you doing to set yourself apart from the guy next to you that whose parents were both, you know, NFL athletes, right? So it's sometimes it's a real, it's a reality check for some guys kind of hearing that but i think it is true that you don't always need to be doing something fancy or different it can just be the simple stuff that you just need to do really well i feel like riley and i say this all the time but often the most correct answer in nutrition is the simplest one and it also always all depends on the specific client athlete whoever we're working with like what's the best for them and it sounds like there's a lot of crossover there yeah for sure because to use a couple of examples if i have two high school kids who are 16 and they one of them is six foot four and 190 pounds and one is five foot six, 120, there's probably going to be a different approach for each of them, depending on their mobility, strength, nutrition, whatever the case may be. And so that's where figuring out how to create an assessment to where you can direct them in the proper channels, because that ends up what I do a lot of times is someone comes to me for an injury and they always want to know why, but it's sometimes hard to pin the tail on the proverbial donkey because injury prevention is a buzzword when it's not really prevention, it's reduction. Injuries happen. So like, what are you going to do to truly prevent an injury? So just figuring out what the best thing for them is, is very valuable in terms of, hey, your strength needs to be better. So here's a strength plan or here's a strength coach. You should go hit them up or, hey, you need to really make sure that you aren't drinking drinking six bangs a day. So go find, you know, Riley or Jenna and dial in your nutrition and make sure that you have the right energy throughout the day without needing those band-aids and things like that. What would be your biggest takeaway? Like the biggest thing you would want all the athletes that you work with to know about like sports, physical therapy, strength training. What do you wish everybody knew? I, I think this goes for anyone, not just for athletes, but always know that you have a choice. Like always know that even though you go and see a certain doctor, you go and your coach says one thing, like you should take some ownership in your rehab and your healthcare choices in whatever that may be. And so I've had multiple people who have come to see me for a second opinion because they were going somewhere else. And they said, well, we just went 
where it was closest to our house, or we just went where the doctor told us. Yes, that should all weigh in and recommendations are big, but you should also be able to do kind of your own audit and make sure that who is in front of you is the best person for you. And so whether that is, you know, our business or not, just always know that there is another option is a big one. And that's just more to make sure that you are seeing the right PT, whether it's a sports PT or not. The other thing that I tell all my athletes is don't let an orthopedic issue become a metabolic problem. And what I mean by that is, yeah, you may have, you know, Tommy John, but doesn't mean you can't still go and keep your legs strong and your core strong and your left arm strong and your everything else. So I think the, to go back to the point that rest doesn't heal things, everyone wants to just take some time off and think that they'll come back the exact same and hundred percent fine. When the nature is most athletes don't need total rest. They need kind of this controlled rest or figuring out, Hey, what can't I do right now? And that's probably the number one question I get from injured athletes is, all right, tell me what I can't do. Cause I'm going to go do everything else that I can. And that, and those are the guys I love to work with the kind where I kind of pull in the reins a little bit, as opposed to the folks where I need to try and light a fire under their ass and say, Hey, you should be going and do this, this, and this. So th that's just kind of the thing I, I find myself repeating a lot to new patients on day one is don't let this become a full body issue. Don't let the fact that because you're, you had elbow surgery means that the first time you go and sprint, you pull your hand or the first time you go and throw, you hurt your shoulder or something like that. So that, that's kind of the big one that I've been saying that's on the top of my mind right now. There's a lot of that that also kind of correlates over to nutrition because we see a lot of people, you know, have big goals and then they come and work with us and we see them for, you know, for like an hour a week and then they expect all of their problems to go away. They have to do the work like outside of it, just like when they come to see you, like if they're not doing the metabolic stuff, if they're not taking care of the other parts of their life, like they're not magically going to get better. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're both in the same business where there's not a lot of overnight success, right? Where, hey, it's it's small victories. It's stacking bricks. It's making sure that you are 1% better each and every day because when you go back and look at this six months from now, 12 months from now, five years from now, you should be a different person, both from a nutrition standpoint, the stuff that you do, as well as in some of the rehab stuff or the performance training stuff in the world that I do. So it's fun in the rare instances where I can have that aha light bulb, like, holy cow, I have no pain anymore. For, but realistically, that's few and far between. All right. So Nate, this is the Eat More Carbs podcast. And we have a couple of questions for you. The first one is, what is your favorite carbohydrate? Easy answer is pasta in many shapes and ways. Um, I mean, my, my wife is on a big, uh, do you guys know the um, Trader Joe's five items or less thing on Instagram? Uh, yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's been our go-to of just like, Hey, where, where are some quick and easy, like good dinners that we can grab? And so she's been doing this one. It's just pasta, pesto, shrimp, lemon. And I want to say one other thing, but God, it, it's the best easy, fast thing that we can do. I think pasta is winning right now with our guests on like what on the favorite carbohydrate. It, so is second pizza is second i'd say almost say bagels bagels we hear a lot mm -hmm. oh, okay. probably making a, a push for second but pasta for sure yeah pasta tied with mac and cheese kind of the same thing <laughs> what is your favorite pre-workout fuel Ooh, so i'm a i'm a morning workout guy um so i am usually at the gym around seven not not too crazy but i, I can't do anything crazy heavy before so um, I'm an oatmeal and berry with my coffee kind of guy. So like just a couple of packs of like brown sugar, cinnamon, oatmeal, maybe some raspberries, blueberries, something like that. Just drop them on the, in there and then just a 
coffee. What's your favorite post-workout fuel? Trail mix. I usually have a bag on me and it's just a handful or two and we're good to go. Easy and simple stuff works. So we're big shoe people here and Jenna is looking for a pair of running shoes, which this is actually might be perfect, but we would love to hear what your favorite pair of kicks is. Ooh. So I had to give a slight story. I had a patient who one time told me that was trying to describe someone like, yeah, they were the person with the, with the red dunks on. And I was like, all right, well, what'd they look like? Like, I don't know. They had the red dunks on. Like I would notice their shoes before I noticed anything else about them. And so like, it just gave me like this insight into how like a high schooler thinks of like, Hey, I'm going to notice their shoes before I notice their race, their gender, their hair color, like anything like that. And so um, I've become kind of a shoe person in the last few years, and now it's just a problem. But uh, I, I recently got this pair of low Nike dunks that are golf shoes that I can kind of wear anywhere because just like a lot of retired baseball players, I'm now a golf nut. But those are ones that I wear around the house. I've worn them to a wedding with a tux. I've worn them on the golf course. It, it's an easy answer. It sounds very versatile. You can wear it to a wedding and to golf. Or you just were like, I'm golfing leading up to the wedding. <laughs> so you just uh, I, I plead the fifth. So just like nutrition it sounds like physical therapy and sports physical therapy is very individualized to the client and to the athlete when it comes to figuring out some things that you might specifically want to work on if you want to follow nate harris on instagram nate what's the best way for people to find you or ask you questions yep so you can find me on instagram uh or velocity at velocity sports underscore pt feel free to shoot us a dm and i'll be happy to answer you can also email me personally at nate at velocity sports pt.org org we will leave all of nate's contact information in the podcast description so that way you can find and follow him on social media and reach out if you do have questions nate thank you so much for being on the eat more carbs podcast we've so appreciated you being here and sharing your knowledge on all things sports related and physical therapy related make sure you rate subscribe and review to the eat more carbs podcast if you do have have questions for Riley and I, please make sure you leave them in the comments or you can find us on Instagram. We're at the Eat More Carbs podcast. You can find Riley on Instagram at riley.fady.nutrition and you can find me at jenna.fisher.nutrition. Thanks again for listening and make sure to eat more carbs.